Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Like you play around with karma and people and people's time and, and integrity and moral values. You start playing around with that and you're going to fall on your face. My name is Detavio Samuels, and welcome to The Black Print, where I sit with the innovators, disruptors, and change makers. My guests open up about every step of their journey and share lessons learned along the way to provide creators, entrepreneurs, and executives with a tangible blueprint for navigating to the top of their industry. This is The Black Print. Welcome to the Black Print. Here I always like to say, everybody sees you on the mountaintop, they don't see you on the climb. Here we're about to get into the climb with my man, the king, Ray J. Thank you for so, coming, brother. Man, thank you for having me, man. So Anytime. good to see you, so good to thank have you. you here. Thank you for building with me. Yeah, man, I was, um, I felt blessed when you accepted the invite to be here. And so everybody knows who you are, multi-hyphenate, you've done everything, you've done music, you've done acting, you've done entrepreneurship, we're gonna lock into all of that. But how does Ray J introduce, introduce yourself to the folks? How does Ray J talk about himself? Well, first off, let me just applause Revolt TV and what y'all doing, you know Thank what I'm you, saying? Man. I'm a big fan, and um, you guys are on the cutting edge of something new. Thank you. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to be here. Um, as far as Ray J and, you know, who I am or what I do, I'm, I, I, I'm really a real worker. Mm. Like, you know, an entertainer, yes. I love to entertain even in my tech businesses. I love to have fun. Um, I love to manifest things through fun and energy and, and, and belief and knowing. Um, but I'm just a real worker. Like I was just telling, uh, you know, my, my engineer today, Rico, I'm like, we're going through the mall and everybody that's working, whether it's hot dog on a stick or, uh, you know, Nike, whatever you're doing, I respect those people more than anything. Like the the level that I put them on is equivalent to the level of where we are, right? Because it all moves together. And so, um, I, you know, I just, I, I consider myself a, a hard worker. I'm determined, whether it's technology, television, music, or just being on the inspirational team. And Puff will tell you, like, I'm the CIF, the Chief Inspirational Officer, yeah, the CIO, <laughs> right? Just to inspire and have that kind of energy. Um, for me, I I'm just a worker. You know, I have tech companies, we have television companies, uh, our own music label. And it's been like that for me since day one. Like, I haven't, I haven't, taking my hands off the controller. You know, it's it's really been strategy, marketing. Uh, that's my strongest point. And everything else around it works with the right plan and the right team. So I'm just, I'm Ray J and I'm just a, I'm a worker. I'm a hard worker. I'm not a, I'm not a boss. I'm not an entrepreneur. If you give me that title, give me the title. But as far as for me, I just love to work and I love to make everybody rich around mm. me 
you know? Mm, I love that energy. So look, we're gonna come back to all the entrepreneurial work that you do. Let's go to the beginning. Okay. Start us out, kind of what's your origin story? Born where, family life like what? Kind of like, give us your original origin story. Well, I was born in Macomb, Mississippi, and I moved to LA with my sister Brandy, my mom and my dad when I was two. So I'm really from LA, but I'm born in the South. Shout out to Mississippi, a beautiful place. We always go back. We got a lot of property there, but I'm from LA. And um, we, we started uh, when I was two, Brandy was four. And you know, we, we, we hit the ground running when we really found, it, found out what we wanted to do. And that was, that was acting. But before then, you know, we were just, you know, regular kids, just, you know, in the church. My dad made us go to choir rehearsal three times a week, Bible study uh, on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then church on Sunday. And if we missed any of those days, it was equivalent to missing school. So mm -hmm. if you missed that, you can't go out and hang out with your friends. Miles with, right? So, <laughs> so it, was, it was interesting. Um, my sister loved it. You know, she was always leading, you know, the choir and waking up for school like five in the morning, you know, uh, going to Hollywood High School or Bancroft Junior High School. For me, um, it, it just, I, my goals and my, my ambitions were just different. Um, and so we just needed to find a balance over time. But in the beginning, it was just acting. My sister did uh, a, a TV show called Thea. At the same time, I landed a show called The Sinbad Show. And so we both were on TV shows and everything kind of changed when my sister dropped her first album, mm -hmm. her self-titled album, Brandy, and uh, just life took a different turn from there. And it, and it all started to uh, just, just magically evolve in different ways. You know, ups, downs, who you are, who you aren't what you stand for, what you won't stand for um, as an artist or as just a human. So all of those things played a part in, in us growing up and trying to find ourselves through this entertainment business. I want to get into that piece, but you said something about like there was an awakening in terms of you wanting to be an actor. How yeah. did that happen? Well, we was taking acting classes. I think my mom got us an acting coach. It was me, my sister, my grandma, like my, I think my dad was in there. We was pretending like we were pretending like we were on buses and we were doing all of these different roles and characters. And um, I got a show called Small Talk. Um, we, Brandy and I both auditioned um, and I got the role to do the interview and do these little tricks on this show. Um, and they didn't use me on the show because I didn't have an agent. And so right there, we, we started to go, okay, so we need a, a television agent and we need certain things in play to make this thing happen. And um, after that, we got an agent and you know, it, from there, it was a lot of auditions. My dad was driving us to you know, Hollywood every day from Carson at two, three o'clock, which is two hours traffic there, two hours traffic back. Every other day, um, just trying to make sure that our dreams came true. And for, for an actor or an actress, it's on you after that. If you get the audition sheets and you go out and you audition, if you got it, you'll get it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how it pretty much started, was just pure acting, pure adrenaline, dreams, 
you know, my favorite actor was Eddie Murphy. Mm. So I used to watch Coming to America and Boomerang every single day, mm. over and over and over. And so, you know, that kind of gave me my game and kind of like my my thing on like who I wanted to be. And at the same time, my sister had a, a totally different dream structure and where she wanted to go. So together we went together. And a lot of doors she opened up for me. Um, it just, we just, we thought about it two different ways. Mm -hmm. Goal is to the top, just two different ways to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's, you can have one dream or you can have one vision, but there's always multiple pathways, right? And I love exactly. the fact that you got Unlimited. Unlimited pathways, right? It's unlimited. Um, so, you, so you talk about, you started out by talking about you're a worker, and then you have this story about in your childhood how you're working to land your kind of first TV deal. Yeah. And your first big one was Sinbad. How did that feel? Do you remember how it felt to land your first kind of role on a television show like that? Yeah, it was, it was mind-blowing. Um, being at our audition for Thea as well, and my sister already had landed the role, and um, and I was already getting used to working for something, and then it didn't happen. Like you know, so it's kind of like we want you, but we don't want you, right? And that that's how it is in acting a lot. You know, you go out on these auditions, you do a hundred auditions, you might land three or four. You keep going on these auditions, and it's almost guaranteed that you'll succeed if you just hang in there. It's and I mean. Game from a year to 10, 15 years, 20, like however long you hang in there, I think there's a, 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 there's a special spot for you in acting. Um, and so to, to feel the defeat in the beginning kind of made me stronger and to go and do an audition for the Sinbad show, which was on a bigger network mm -hmm. at the time, it was on Fox. And um, my dad came to my friends, I also said, right, he called me the role LJ and I just went crazy. Like I jumped up in his arms and, and I felt like, wow, you know, I have a show too. That's in my mind. I'm like, okay, I got a show. My sister's got a show. Now, now it's all coming, you know, into play exactly like we wanted it. So it was challenging, but um, acting definitely taught me a lot about continuing to go, no matter what, no matter what they say, no matter what, you might lose today, tomorrow is a new day. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I might get my feelings hurt today, you know what I'm saying? But I, I ain't gonna get tomorrow, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's one of those kind of things. Opportunity is not equally distributed. To every black entrepreneur listening, I wanna make sure you have the tools and resources you need to grab your next opportunity. That's why I'm telling you about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of six million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and an extended free Shopify trial. Shopify has made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program. 
and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says... The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Chart your own path for business success with the one million black businesses initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at Shopify.com slash black print all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash black print. You know. a, a lot of people would assume that because you and your sister were competing or um, both um, auditioning for similar shows that there could be unhealthy competition. One thing that I love when I see you and your sister, like y'all support each other. Like whenever I see y'all, like you show up on her awards, she shows up at yours. Um, talk to me about like, how do you, why do you think it didn't turn into some sort of ugly competition? Like you guys are big supporters of each other. Yeah, I think. I think once my sister released her first album and she just ex excelled to higher heights than we ever would think, she brought me on board, you know, and she, she put me on her tours and she let me produce some of the commercials and she just really grabbed me and brought me along. So it could never be competitive with us because we're like two different species, but we're the same person. And um, and we just support each other, man. Like I, I don't think I've ever felt a competitive energy around B because I feel like she's way up there, singing, music, everything. She might say that I hung in there, but overall, like she's like, you know, one of my mentors and, and one of the people that I just pay most of the homage to as far as being here today. So I could never have that energy with her. That's big sister, and she. And, and, and she was, you know, one of my angels um, getting me through this tough system of entertainment. You know, it's a really grimy, tough, cutthroat business, you know. And so for her to have my back like that, and, I mean, I owe her and my mom and, and my dad, you know, the world. So I would never feel like that. It's just never been. I love it. You know. What gets you from acting to the music space, right? So you do your thing in the acting world, could have just stayed there, right? But then you decide you're also going to be an artist. What, what makes you decide to also make that kind of pivot into music? I never really wanted to do the music in the beginning. Um, I, you know, I tried, there's a song called Best Friends that Brandy dedicated to me on her first album. I actually sang that second verse and tried to do the collaboration. I just wasn't ready. I just didn't care. You know, I wanted to hang out with my friends, um, whether it was getting in a little bit of trouble or, you know, just kind of falling by the wayside or just being a young kid exploring the world. That's what more of what I was on. And so it was more, I don't want to say I was pushed to do the music, but it was in my lap because of how the whole music industry was going and how big my sister was and and is and so it just you know I was pushed into it and so I struggled with um with just identifying who I am with what they wanted me to be um and look my first name was Brandy's brother mm. you know and I loved it I 
fucking love that. I wish I could go back to just being Brandy's brother. I mean, it was just, it was just an unlimited amount of like fun and no risk and really no opinions. And I was just living a free life. Like it was probably the best times that I had um, as a kid um, and as a teenager. So I loved it. And then transitioning to start doing it myself, it just got really tricky and it got, it got rough. It got rough um, being signed to a label that wanted you to be this way. Um, but I even just now or then, like I've never done anything I didn't want to do. I hated school. I hated going to school. Waking up and, and going to school was like the biggest problem for me emotionally. Um, but I love to learn from whatever mistakes I would make or the experiences that I would go through. I, I, I looked at that at school. Um, so in doing that, to try to make me do a song or an album that I didn't want to do, it was a problem. And, and, and it was tough dealing with me at the time because I just was like, I'm just not doing it like that. Um, so I just had to go another route. I knew I had to stand in line longer. I knew the line was going to be longer. I knew the wait for success was going to be way longer. But it was going to be way sweeter and it was going to be just much more like fulfilling to do what you want to do and it works. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, it's like a, a writer who's been singing other songs people wrote their whole life and then they write one song and it works. The one they wrote, oh my God, it's, it's probably the most refreshing feeling a writer can have or an artist can have. When is that first feeling for you? When do you get that like, okay, I'm, I, 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 I miss being known as Brandy's little brother. Now I've been in this kind of in-between space where it's not me. And now I finally feel like I am Ray J. I am, where, where are you when that happens? Where does Ray J find Ray J? I found the first Ray J yeah. through my collaborations with Pharrell. And working with Rodney Jerkins, I mean, he's one of the greatest. LaShawn Daniels, rest in peace. Like the training and, and, and the vocal like uh, courses that we had to go through to make songs was just a lot of work because Rodney is going to work you and make you the greatest and LaShawn as well. And with Pharrell, we just had a lot of fun and the topics was like so much fun. And it was about being in the club and being from Cali and and you know, all of the sexy women, mm. the beats were very simple. And I was like, yo, this dude is going to be the biggest producer in the world. And at the time, people didn't understand what I was saying, but we had a song called Wait A Minute and it was featuring Lil' Kim. And I just fought hard for that song. Shout out to Craig Cowman and Atlantic and Hudson Miller and they, they really didn't want that record out at the time because they had bigger plans with the Rodney songs. Mm -hmm. And the Rodney songs was dope, but it was in a brandy format. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like the Pharrell songs were so good and Wait A Minute was such a hit. I took the, I, I took the, the, the lower budget amount. Like it was a big budget for mm -hmm. what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then there was a little small budget if I wanted to do it myself. Mm -hmm. 
And I just took that small budget and we just worked it and worked it and worked it. And the song eventually became a hit yeah. and Pharrell became one of the biggest things in music today, right? And, and I was in the beginning with that. And that's what just changed the dynamic of being signed to a label, having to work it yourself until they see the success. Mm. So I was like, which well, is why would I need y'all if I had to go in a van for four months and just work it and t tap into all the PDs, the DJs, and, and everybody around, you know, it was a very grimy marketing run. Mm. But that's when I understood that I'm good at marketing, I'm good at building stuff from the ground up, and when nobody believes, you got this small group of people that, that know. And when we know and work hard with the know, it's, it's inevitable. And so that just changed uh, just my perspective on business and being independent and asking somebody for help as opposed to just going out and creating a movement that could help shift the narrative for the whole game. Yeah, two things you said in there that I love. One is like the power of belief. Like belief is a hell of a drug, right? And so yeah. you believing in what you believe in, you believed in the song, you believed in yourself and were able to will it to happen. The other thing that I believe is that um, like authenticity is like our superpower. And so it sounds like, oh, I found myself. I'm great at this type of music. I'm great at marketing I'm, and, and, and finding your authentic self. Yeah. You begin to unleash a new Ray J. One of the things you said that I found interesting is when I found the first Ray J, who's the next Ray J? What's the next Ray J that kind of popped up? Well, after that, I got real cocky mm. because it was to the point where I felt like none of y'all listened to me. And so don't tell me got shit. It. Got it. I know what I'm doing. Like I went on this whole run and that's very unhealthy and it has a lot of self-sabotage written on it um, because you still need help. And, and even the people that might not have seen your vision in the beginning, they can help you now grow it and make it big. Uh, and I just didn't listen. Um, I didn't listen to Pharrell for the second single and I'm sorry, Pharrell, I, I love you, brother. Um, forgive me, let's work. Uh, and I just didn't listen to anybody around me and I thought I knew it all. And that's when I came to a crash um, to where the label, nobody really wanted to like deal with me. So I got dropped from the label. No label wanted to sign me, you know? And you know, it was tough, man. It was tough to have your career dictated and or just people control, you know, your destination. Destiny, yeah. yeah, and it was tough. And, um, and so I said, I gotta find another route. I gotta find another route. And this time when I come out and I succeed, I'm gonna listen. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started listening and, um, and just rebuilding and started to find new ways to penetrate the game independently and also still have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And um and that's when I that's when one wish came about. Mm -hmm. And um I got a loan from my mom and my dad. They gave me 500 grand. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to sign me. Um 
And I think my mom and dad gave me the money because they wanted me to, 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 to continue to work on my craft and be everything that I wanted to be. Did they believe that the album and everything I was doing was gonna work? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think it was that for them. It was saying, here's something for you to recreate your goals and dreams. And if you win, we'll support. So 500,000 went into Rodney Jerkins putting the, putting the album together because I had to go to Rodney because Rodney's our, he's, he's, he's the main hub. He's the main frame for our music. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And, um, and LaShawn Daniels. Mm. So I went to them and we did a lot of records um, and I, I gave them a bulk of the budget. I did a, a lot of songs with some other producers, but rewinding back to One Wish, it was just that record. Win, lose, or draw. I was signed to a distribution company called Sanctuary. I mean, they, they did like rock and roll. Mm. Totally unfamiliar with mm. this. So. If you look at it, like it was guaranteed not to work. So One Wish was just like my, it was like my going away party. Like this is the final thing, at least you can hear me sing. Um, I gave Little X uh, to shoot the video with the rain. I think I gave him like $200,000. You put real money on that video. Yeah, I treated everything like a major, right? I've got Rodney. Um, and then I got Little X to do the video. At first, at first I wanted to do um, Hype Williams, mm -hmm. and Hype sent me an invoice for like 580 grand or something. Mm -hmm. It was over my budget, but Little X was just as dope, and um, it was half of that. And I gave him the money, and um, and and then I went on my marketing run, and eventually after like 10 months, 12 months of people saying it was terrible, you're off. I hate the way you sound, you're singing way up too high. It's annoying me, the song's trash. You know, you went through that whole thing. But um, in facing the criticism, I still locked in with the DJs and the PDs. We still build our relationships because it was more about the relationship than the song. If you didn't like the song, still fuck with me. Mm. Um, and I, they gave me a chance with the song because of how I reacted to the criticism. Mm. And it evolved from there. Once the fans get to it, it's no stopping. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so um, that's how it all started for me independently, was a loan from my mom and dad. And then um, treating it like a major, putting all the money in the right places, none in my pocket, and then going out and working it. Um, and then everything else changed for me mentally as far as like running my own businesses and stuff. So yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So there has to be a tie-in to betting on yourself, coming up with ideas, betting on yourself. In this run, we're talking about music, but now you are a businessman as well. Yeah. How do you, what's the first, what's the first um, entrepreneurial business idea that you had that you launched? Well, if you look at the, the One Wish record, mm. You have to look at it in a business format because that's my first business venture because now I have a budget and I have to work within the budget and put it in the right place and then market it. And I think the marketing skills really, that's our specialty is marketing. Um, 
if you look at all the things that we've done and just in my team's career, our marketing skills is, 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 our, is our special power. Um, so yeah, one wish, set the tone. And from there, everything else was all about marketing for me. So one wish is the first entrepreneurial endeavor. So much of what you're doing is in the tech space, which I love. Um, I believe that tech is one of the greatest builders of wealth, period. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just not enough black people doing tech. What gets you into tech? What makes you go say, OK, I'm making an entrepreneurial bet on music, but now I'm going to dip my toe in the tech space? Well, with the money that was made from the Radiation album, that's, that was where One Wish, um, that was on, on the Radiation album, One Wish. That generated, we sold 400 and something thousand albums mm. at $12.99. So if you do the math, you'll yeah. see what was what was there. And then the streams, and when well not the streams, the radio plays, and uh, at the time they had like um, ringtones and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So we were making a lot of money um, quietly though. Like you would never know like the money that was coming in independently. And it was uh, now up to me to try to take the marketing and put it in different places to see if it was the marketing. Mm. Um, and then everything started to evolve as we came up with like unique marketing ways to, to make whatever project we had successful um, strategically. Um, and so, yeah, it, it went from one wish. Oh, man, I, sometimes I get confused. <laughs> I've been trying to figure my life on, out. Yeah, well, like, like what was next for Like real? in the 90s, yeah. I could tell you what happened in the 90s. Yeah. After the 2000s, it just gets like I'm the same. five and eight and 12 and 15. It's so confusing. But after one wish, I think it went into, yeah, because I was, I was with death row right before one wish. Mm. And I was with Suge for a couple of years. Um, and I learned a lot from being with Death Row and Suge for that long, which prompted One Wish. And then it went in, from there into this, this vortex. It's like anomaly or whatever of like controversy and reality TV and, mm -hmm. um, and shifting from acting and music into just like this new world order. Like reality took over, TMZ took over, mm. you know, streaming took over. Um, and I think we were just a part of this new change, controversially and then reality shows. I mean, for, for the love of Ray J, Brandy and Ray J, a family business, uh, Bad Girls All-Star Battle, um, loving hip hop. Mm -hmm. And me and David, we did 15 to 20 other shows in that space over like 3,500 hours. And so it went from music into reality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, and we dominated in that space. More than anything, I think we've dominated in, in reality. reality. More than anything that I've done, we've been number one since we started just with our shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that just changed the dynamic of everything as well. 
And has that become the launching pad to say, all right, let me start making my own products and running it through this now massive platform that I have. Let me start making, like, what's the genesis of you getting to, you know what, I'm gonna compete against Beats. I'm gonna compete against Apple. I'm gonna make my own earbuds. I'm gonna make my own headphones. I'm gonna make my own e-scooters, right? Like Yeah, it started with the scooty bikes. It started with the hoverboards, me seeing that the hoverboards wasn't the product that was going to keep everybody safe that still had that electrical uh, rush to it. But the electric scooter really caught my attention going into technology. And, um, and I felt like if we could market TV, if we could market controversy, if we could market music, let's take it up a notch and use our marketing skills to go after technology and go after products that were just 10 times the price point in music and TV. And so we started with the scooters. And I mean, we, I felt like we were the first people to bring scooters into America. Before Lyft and before uh, Uber, all of those, all those bikes that's in the bike sharing world, we had those bikes first. I was giving them away millions of dollars to every celebrity. It's just, here, take the bikes. Three bikes for you, four bikes for you, 10 bikes for you. Um, just from a strategic marketing side, every bike wholesale was like $600, but I was just letting them go. And, um, and yeah, things start to change uh, for us in technology when, um, when we got a big boom from the Scooty Bike, sold that company and focused on building a team that, that understood price points, understood 3PL services, understood customer service and understood building a, a, a real tech empire. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started Raycon. And um... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. The first year, I think we, we did about 8 million in sales the first year for Raycon. Second, we did 40. Third, we did 72. Fourth, we did 80. Um, last year, we did a little under 80. Come through. You know what I mean? So we're over 300 million in revenue. Um, the company's super strong. Our EBITDA is strong. And, um, and now we just, you know, you know, we're maximizing it. And so I just got addicted to the scale of things, like how to scale something is, um, is, is a, is a pattern that I'm kind of focused on every day is to, to, how, to how do we scale something that's working? And if that funnel's not working, let's build 10 more funnels. So when that doesn't work, we drop in them in and we're super prepared. Um, you know, success comes when opportunity meets preparation. That's what my mom always told me. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, and if I let you stay there, like we're just gonna sit in the success, which I love. Um, but what we, what we also know is that black entrepreneurs have, I mean, every entrepreneur struggles. I think black entrepreneurs sometimes have our own struggles. Yeah. And building this tech empire, do you struggle at all? Do you fail at all? Oh my God. I mean, I went broke with Scooty Bikes. I, I didn't have pretty much any money in my account because I was buying so much inventory and making so many mistakes with not knowing how the empire structure works. So I was buying backwards on my business card. And that's something you can't, like when you're about to sell the company, all these things pop up. And so my partner, Billy J was trying to tell me how to move. And I just was not listening. We was making so much money. 
Um, and so there came a time where, you know, we lost it all. Mm. And, um, and we had to build it back from the ground up. Luckily, I was able to sell Scooty Bike uh, right before COVID um, to a company called Loopshare in Canada, another bike sharing company. Um, I was able to sell it and, um, and start a new company right before COVID hit. Because I think if COVID hit and I still had Scooty Bike, I wouldn't have been able to survive that storm. Mm. It would have been over for me, done. Mm. Like in technology period, I wouldn't have been able to survive. Um, so that's when I started to understand budgets and planning and projections, not a year projection. I mean, we're talking five, six years of planning and, um, and sticking to that plan and what, what is EBITDA, what is profit, what is loss, what are P&Ls, like how do you, you know, how do you, how do you maneuver through this real industry and still be you? So I just had to learn and make a lot of mistakes and, um, and deal with a lot of tough, uh, attitudes and, and racism and it was just it was a lot what kept you going <sighs> like what's why push through what's weird about me is like i like problems i like being down i like when i'm at a point where i done spent all i have like, I'm supposed to be in this position because this is what really turns you into who you really are. So all my downs, I've appreciated. All the naysayers and the people who told me no. I hear no, I've heard no 500 million times more than I heard yes in this game. And we've always been able to take that no and prove that no wrong. And as long as you stay humble and treat people great and treat people equal. I mean, everybody's equal. Staff, everybody. Um, whoever you're around, whatever job position, everybody's equal. And once I started to understand that, I started to glide through the system. Mm. So you gotta get through being cocky and not listening and falling on your ass and God showing you like, you, you, you got me, like you got this game twisted. Boom, you about to run into a wall. Mm. I don't care how big you are. Like you play around with karma and people and people's time and, and integrity and moral values. You start playing around with that and you're gonna fall on your face. It's self-sabotage. So I had to get through the self-sabotage stage. And, um, and that's one of the most crucial things anybody can, can, can overcome is self-sabotage. Mm. I'm asking you one more question, which is around, um... Any lessons you have for people who are trying to scale a business? And while you kind of think about that, like, I don't know if you have a framework or like, look, I've learned these three lessons. Um, but while you think about that, what's amazing about what you said, Julius, I think it was Julius Caesar had a quote that was like, um, he would take people to, an, to a new country they were trying to take over and burn all the boats behind them, right? There's no going backwards, right? Exactly. We're either gonna go in and take over or we're gonna die. And it seems like you're the type of person that when you are in that situation, that's when you thrive the most, right? And yeah. that's how you've been pulling out these wins, which is incredible. Any lessons for businesses, black businesses, any business who's trying to scale that you've learned that you can pass on to the next generation? As far as scaling is concerned, I think, like, like we did a lot of great work with the Zeus Network, a new OTT platform is booming right now. Um, and I learned a lot from that OTT and from the people there. So creating this new network, the Dosh Network, um, it, it's kind of scaling 
that platform into the next level. It's almost like yin and yang will always work, you know, uh, whether it's hoverboards for the scooty bike, whether it's earbuds for the over-the-ear headphone, whether it's for the love of Ray J or flavor of love, um, you know, there's always one and two. And I think when you're talking about scaling, I think you just have to know your position. If you founded the company, you're the founder. You're not the CEO. You're not the CFO. You're not the CMO. I'm the strategy officer. Like, even though I founded my companies, I play strategy. I don't play chief marketing officer. That's for my, for my guys in Hong Kong who study the market, who study conversion and performance marketing. Totally different from strategy. And I think CFO and operations, like, you have to make sure everybody's doing what they're good at. And you don't need to do what you don't know how to do. And I think a lot of people will sit in that seat and go, I'm the CEO because I founded the company. Like, you, you, you have no idea how to run this thing. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the most important lesson I could give to people is play your part and play your position. And if, if you want power, the power is in the success of the company. The power is in making sure everybody around is building together. I made so many people rich and I feel good about that because I'll never go broke because they always got me. Somebody got me, you know what I'm saying? David got me. Somebody got me that, that, that we've made a lot of money with. So for me, it's just building the team. It's all about team and it's all about playing your position. If you start small with your unit, that's fine. If it's starting to grow, start thinking about hiring these right people for these positions so you can actually scale the business. There's nothing wrong with that. I love where you ended because part of me was kicking myself because we didn't get to one of the pieces I wanted to get to, which is your, your, your superpower was in the marketing, but you making tech products, right? Yeah. I'm like, how did you get there? But to your point, you got to build the team. You got to know build the team. You got to know your position. You got to be willing to make other people wealthy along the way. And you got to listen mm. to people. Some people might tell you what you need to know and you can't disregard that. Mm. Just look at yourself. If you're the president of the United States, Everybody around is going to give you the advice that you need from what they're good at. Take heed and listen. I love it. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. King, what I will tell you is um, the vulnerability that you showed up with today, the, the, the humility with which you showed up today. I just appreciate you not just showing up, but showing up in the way that you showed up. Oh, man, thank you. I, love, I rarely have these conversations because we're so intensely into the entertainment or the loud side or the turn up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just don't even know that this side of us even That's exists. Right. And right. sometimes it's good, you know, because being underestimated is a special power. Mm-hmm. You can only be underestimated for so long when you're great. Mm-hmm. So enjoy it because you can be in rooms soaking up all this knowledge when you're underestimated. Once they know you him, once they know your name is Hemothy, <laughs> 
they gonna double team you, they gonna triple team you, and you gotta stay outside because mm -hmm. now you can't even know the blueprint because we, we know you now. So I'm enjoying the, the humbleness and, and being under the radar and eventually splash. King, it sounds like you and I got a round two. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Appreciate Love. you, my brother. Conversation with Ray J was bananas. The man showed up vulnerable, he showed up humble. Um, and was filled full of lessons and jewels. And so the three takeaways that I want you guys to take away from this conversation is, one, the importance of your circle. You know, there's a quote that says, show me your circle and I'll show you where you can go. Ray J talks about the importance of his family supporting him and uplifting him. He talks about the importance of his sister specifically, that as she climbed, how she helped pull him up along the way. And so just remember that whoever you got in your circle matters. And Ray J is a testament to that truth. Two, Ray J talks about like having this moment of not fitting with himself, where he's in a situation where the world wants him to be one way, but he's really a different way and he has to find himself. And ultimately, like for me, what that comes down to is this idea of you got to find and know your genius. You got to find and know your own secret sauce. And so it's when he begins to be himself, when he gets to be his fullest self, is when he's tapping into those original um, things that God designed him to be. He talks about marketing as his genius. He talks about a certain style of music that he can get into that helps him unleash his magic. And so this notion of you got to unlock your superpowers and be authentic to who you are is number two. And then the third one is you, there's a difference between being a founder and being a CEO. He talks about you might be the founder of the company, but what you have to do is make sure that you put the right team around you to get to the place where you wanna go. I think so often, specifically in the black community, we wanna be the CEO, the CMO, the CTO, like we have trouble letting go um, of some of the things around our company. And Ray J specifically advises us to like, again, know your superpower, know your truth, hold your position, and then build a team of experts and geniuses around you to do the rest.
When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.